Welcome to the podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Every so often, we all need a little encouragement, some words to capture our mind, engage our heart and enliven our spirit. And that's my intention with this podcast. It's an opportunity for you to take a few minutes out of your busy day and listen to what I hope is thought provoking and empowering content. Each week, my guests and I share stories, challenges and vulnerabilities, as well as tips and insights on a whole range of topics all with the aim of helping us to live in a more soulful, authentic and integrated way. So thank you for tuning in. Let's jump into this week's episode. Hello and welcome. I'm calling this week's episode, Nothing to Fear but Fear Itself, after those famous words first spoken by President Franklin D. Roosevelt in his inaugural speech in 1933. I'm devoting this week's episode to the topic of fear for two reasons. Firstly, because we all have our fears. We might water the word down and use worry, anxious, concerned or nervous as synonyms. But what we're really talking about is fear. Of course, if we pay close attention to the news, it's easy to believe that we have more to fear these days than ever before. The climate crisis, war in Ukraine, the fuel and cost of living crisis, inflation. There's a lot of scary news out there. Secondly, in my own personal development journey, I've come to realise that so many of my own motivations are underpinned or driven by fear. And I suspect it's the same for many others as well. When it comes to my own fears, I was aware of some of them. You know, the fear of not being good enough, getting something wrong, the fear of letting others down. But fear can be insidious. It can creep in where we least expect it. So I want to share some of my insights I've learned in my own escapades in tackling fear over the years. This week, I'll take you through some of the less obvious ways that fear can influence our thoughts and behaviours. I look at the scenarios where many of my coaching clients typically encounter fear, sometimes in surprising ways. I'll take you through some of our minds and bodies reactions when we feel under threat, you know, when fear is unleashed. And of course, I'll close by sharing practical tips and strategies that we can apply when fear comes knocking on the doors of our minds. Or if you're like me, if you're seeking to evict a tenant called fear that has taken up residency in the house of our minds. As I've said before, fear is part of our defence mechanism, so we cannot switch it off or avoid it, but we can learn to form a new relationship with it. We can endeavour to manage it. Over the years, we'll have developed our own ways of coping with it. It could be avoidance of risk or staying small or trying to numb our fears. But as I say, towards the close of this week's episode, I'll be sharing some strategies that I've applied myself and strategies that I share with my clients. As a coach, as opposed to, say, a counsellor, in my work with clients over the last 20 years, fear presents itself typically in three scenarios. With many of my interview skills clients, fear is present when they are anxious about being able to answer a question or the fear of going blank, letting themselves down or not being offered the job. Similarly, fear is on the agenda with my presentation skills clients. There's the old adage that people fear public speaking more than spiders, snakes or even death. In recent times, my work in this area is nearly completely focused on helping clients to manage those nerves or fears when delivering from the top of a room. Like with interviews, presenters are grappling with the fear of being judged negatively by their audiences and they have the fear of not doing themselves or their subject matter justice. 
As I always say, a situation like an interview or a presentation will stir dormant fears. They're like a magnifying glass spotlighting whatever fears we carry with us. The third place I encounter fear with clients is when they are seeking to make change in their lives. It might be looking to change career or to move towards something more in alignment with their values or to take a risk and start their own business. It might be applying for a promotion and fearing what current colleagues might think of them or the fear of speaking out or pushing back in a situation where they would like to be more assertive and less passive. Of course, fear can get a bad rap. Like every other part of us, it serves a function. When facing uncertainty, the unknown or a threat, a threat to our physical safety, or perhaps where it's more common for many of us, a threat to our psychological safety, our self-protection mechanism will kick in. This is a good thing as it stops us being hasty or rash or not thinking something through. But of course, too much of it, we can drift into overthinking and fear will latch onto us like a spectre and inhabit our progress or what can be worse, prevent us from even trying. Let's remember that fear will always be lying in wait at the edge of our comfort zones. I know that I've lived with some fears for so long that I'm not even aware of them. It's a bit like music in a lift or a waiting room, a constant drone in the background. Fear will lurk in the darkest recesses of our minds. Here are some ways, perhaps more subtle ways, where fear is the secret driver of our behaviour. I know I can put my hand up to most of these. Now, which ones resonate with you? Let me start with one that I call an inability to switch off. You know the setup, staying at work late, as I sometimes label it giving work the 8th, 10th or 12th hour of the day before family or non-work activities even get the first hour. At home, you answer emails late at night or at weekends. You're constantly checking your phone for email or work-related issues. Even when we've time off, we don't relax. Instead, we run the battle between not wanting to check email, but we feel compelled to, and then we feel bad when we do log in. Because we will worry, which remembers an understudy of fear. When we don't log in and check emails, our fertile imagination takes over. We picture pending catastrophe. So it's the lesser of two evils to have a quick look at the old emails. All this means it's impossible for us to truly switch off and relax. Fear will wrestle with our desire to rest or to have fun. And fear will tend to win because at an extreme, we believe our very survival is dependent on it. Not necessarily our physical survival, but our psychological survival. Another subtle symptom of fear is that fear can make everything seem like work. Everything becomes a chore, just something else to tick off a never-ending to-do list. Our fears mean something that might have started as a favour that we do for someone, we convert into a recurring commitment. We fear letting other people down. We fear not being on top of everything. Even something as basic as baking a cake can morph into another chore by fear. Instead of focusing on the joy of mixing ingredients and the process of creation, fear turns baking into an avenue for impressing others or avoiding the real root of the issue. That's an underlying belief in not feeling good enough. Another subtle way fear impacts our lives is that fear will keep us small. Fear is balanced on the expectations we have for our lives. Fear will attempt to keep us secure and safe in our comfort zones. Fear keeps us risk adverse. Fear will ensure that we keep parts of ourselves, sometimes core parts of ourselves, hidden away. Fear will stifle creativity and keeps concepts such as living authentically as quite foreign to us. 
We all have expectations as to what we believe is realistic in our lives, how much we can earn, how much happiness we believe we deserve, what we can do, where we can live, the quality of our relationships and so on. Whilst we all have our unique life experiences, and of course there's the practical challenges that life will always present to us, we do reach a point where we have to question the expectations we've set for ourselves. Too often our lives are too narrow or too small for us, and it's fear that's created those artificial boundaries. In this regard, you've probably heard those famous words of Marion Williamson from her book A Return to Love, her reflections on that wonderful spiritual resource, A Course in Miracles. These words were made famous because they were quoted by Nelson Mandela in his inaugural speech in 1994. I often close some of my workshops with these lines, a reminder for us to look beyond our fear-imposed restrictions. So Marion Williamson writes, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? For me, those words always remind me of the old Bible parable, don't hide your light under a bushel. Our light is to be revealed, not concealed. Another way fear creeps up on us is that when we encounter it, or more often than not, when we live with it in a home or a work environment, fear will diminish trust. So if we take work, you know, for so many organisations, the company culture is still one that's driven by fear, individual and collective. In these situations, when fear is present, trust runs out the door. We've probably all experienced those organisations where as an employee, you don't feel trusted. The business processes are designed for the worst trait of the worst performer. There's the belief that if mistakes are made, heads will roll. The atmosphere is tense. People watch their backs. Scapegoating is common, as is the race to avoid responsibility. Books will be passed and cans will be kicked down the road. Conformity is what's valued. If these places of work were countries, they wouldn't be democracies. These organisations are actually shaped around the cult of personality, which perhaps brings us closer to downtown Pyeongchang, North Korea. If we are in or have inhabited such an environment, and those of us with several years work experience behind us almost certainly have, this means we've absorbed and internalised those fear-based ways of thinking and behaving. We will always do what we have to do to fit in and survive in challenging environments. Even though I've been my own boss running my own show for 20 years, the 12 years I spent in the formative part of my career shaped my beliefs around work. Some serve me, others less so, and those ones are always fear-based. The last subtle way that I'll share with you today as to how fear can be present in our lives is how we engage with the world because fear can make us controlling. There is a logic to this, to deal with fear and the stresses and the pressures that those fears place on us. We focus on what we can control, but unchecked, this can easily drift into becoming controlling. We do this because we never want to be caught out, found out, criticised or be seen as less than. We rely on control to avoid feeling the corrosive emotion of shame. This desire to control will lead us to perfectionism being hyper-judgmental of ourselves, which will spill over into being judgmental of others, especially those who don't live up to our excessively high standards. Of course, control brings order. It helps us focus and makes us organised. For me, control can usher in a sense of calm, and there's also the satisfaction that comes with ticking off a to-do list. It keeps us productive. But as we know, too much of anything is not so good. If our minds are consumed by not-good-enough fears, 
we won't be able to risk switching off and resting. We have to remain on alert and continue to work to stay on top of things that will ultimately never alleviate in any substantial way or sustainable way the underlying fear. We will never be able to outperform our fears. This is a tough way to live. It drains the body, mind and spirit. Before I share with you some ways of managing our fears, techniques I've practiced and have shared with clients over the years, let's look briefly at how the body and mind responds to fear. Everything serves a purpose, including our body's response to a threat. In many ways, I marvel at what the body can instinctively do to protect itself. Fear prompts us to shift into fight or flight mode. You've probably heard of that. There's two more F words that form our instinctive response to fear as well. Another one is freeze. That's one that many people have experienced at an interview or when delivering a presentation. And the last one is to fawn when we become overly agreeable and when we placate. Appease is another word we could use here instead. So the four responses to fear are fight, flight, freeze or appease. That sort of trips off the tongue. If we are physically under threat, we want our bodies to respond. But in today's world, for most of us, we are not dealing with physical threat. We're dealing with psychological threat. So when we feel under threat, physical or psychological, or even imagined for that matter, adrenaline is pumped into the body, which makes our heart beat faster. We will feel it pounding in our chests. Our breath will get shorter, which might even lead to hyperventilating. Blood is pumped to the vital organs and away from the extremities. This is quite literally where we get the term cold feet. It's also why we get wobbly legs and shaky hands. Our shoulders will tense to protect the rib cage area. Our palms get sweaty as the body prepares not to overheat as we ready ourselves for evasive action. We can get dizzy or lightheaded as the change in breathing patterns causes a shift in the oxygen carbon dioxide balance in the body. We will be familiar with the butterflies in our stomach or at an extreme a gnat in our stomach, that feeling of nauseousness as blood is diverted from the digestive system. It's also diverted from the bladder and the bowel, so we'll want to visit the loo more frequently. Our mouth will get dry, as this is not a time to eat or talk. Our pupils dilate, so we'll focus and our focus gets narrower on the threat and the, to the exclusion of everything else. We will cross our limbs to protect vital organs, that classic defensive body language. Our shoulders hunch, our head will drop, and now we're in full self-protection mode. We're armoured up, as it were. Isn't the body a wonderful piece of equipment when you think about it? I think we can all recognise those symptoms. The challenge for many of us is that this response is fired off, often in situations when it doesn't need to. And that's only what the body does. Then there's everything that the mind does when fear is activated. Our minds will scan our memory banks for information as to what might happen next. This is to help us prepare for the worst possible outcome, which of course is what worry is all about. We will focus on the worst, so a cascade of negative thinking is triggered. We will also lose the ability to think rationally. Our IQ drops, our cognitive process slows down, our ability to listen and to comprehend diminishes. Anyone who draws a blank at an interview or freezes when asked a straightforward question as a presenter knows this only too well. Our decision-making is flawed, as we quite literally are not thinking straight. I remember a few years ago when my parents' car was stolen, and uh, myself and my brother went out to check and see if everything was okay. And my folks live in the country and uh, there's a there's a field beside them. And when we were outside making sure everything else was secure, 
we could notice someone sitting, um, I don't know, 200 yards away um, on a bank at, at, at this field. And uh, my brother went up to investigate because uh, we thought the person was spying on the house and, you know, maybe a lookout for more thieves or whatever. And uh, up he went and we could see him speaking to the person. And uh, he came back and he said, no, the person was just out for a walk and they were tired and they sat down and there was a bit of a view from this field, you know, so they could see around them. Um, but yet we were uh, we were consumed by fears after the the distressing incident of my parents' car being stolen overnight. You know, so fear will make us quite irrational. Fear will also make us more defensive. You know, we will stick with what we already know, hence the familiar refrain of better the devil you know. In a negative thought spiral, there's no room for creativity. Our perspective narrows and our world shrinks. We become more tribal too when fear grabs hold of us. It's now us against the world. We retreat into ourselves. I know that's something I certainly do. We see everything and everyone as a threat. We only have to look at politics, especially in America, to see this. We can drift into victimhood or martyrdom. Fear will launch some people into attack mode. They become aggressive, raise their voices. They get in your face. We've certainly encountered this in organisations where some people have learned to use an aggressive personality as their default strategy for masking their own fears. Some people explode, others implode. They go to war with themselves. That's all of us who are fully paid up members of the Tough and Myself Club. After it's activated, it takes about 20 minutes for the fear response in our bodies to switch off. If the fear source persists, our adrenal glands will continue to produce the stress hormone cortisol, keeping us on high alert. If this continues over long periods, our adrenals become fatigued, negatively impacting our immune system and causing other health issues, including high blood pressure or even burnout. So that's all well and good, I hear you say. Give me some strategies, please, James. What can we do with our instinctive fear response when it is triggered and to ensure it's only activated? when it's the most appropriate response. So let me take you through some strategies that I've picked up or developed over the years. It starts with a decision. Now, this might sound simple, but if you think about it, if we want to get fit or lose weight, it starts by making the decision to work on it, to make it a higher priority, and perhaps to set ourselves a goal or a target. It's the same with fear. We make the decision to commit to working on changing our habitual fear-based responses. And just like physical fitness, it's about ongoing effort and progress in a direction. It's not going to be a quick fix. And sometimes it's not just about making a decision. Whilst we might want to change, we may believe it's not possible for us, that that's just who I am and I'm immune or resistant to change in this area. Being a worrier or having a fear-based default reaction is considered part of our identity. And to change that means letting go of who we believe ourselves to be. If this is the case, then we might think that tips and techniques and strategies can work for others, but they won't work for us. I see this with clients fairly frequently. I might ask an interview skills coaching client, do they believe it is possible for them to attend an interview and feel something other than nervous or excessively anxious? And their response is often no. That's a block before we even start. They will argue for their limitations. Only recently, I asked a presentation skills coaching client, do you believe that you could ever be more relaxed at the top of the room? And her response was no. These no's around our own capability will close us from any learning, from even trying. So we're defeated before we begin. Intellectually, we might find fear conquering strategies interesting or amusing, 
but we don't see them as relevant to us. It's that old adage of whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're right. If we don't believe change is possible, it's about staying open and curious as to what could be different, contemplating what might be possible and what would represent progress. When we came into this world, the only fears we had were the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling or being dropped. All other fears we have learned and accumulated. Maybe we can learn to put them back down. The second caveat in taking this first step and making the decision to move beyond our fears is to identify what you would like to replace the excessive fear or worry with. It's about putting our focus on something positive. It might be calm, resilient, brave, mature, logical. For me, the term I use to describe what I want to replace my fear-based response with is mental freedom. For others, it might be peace. In classic goal-setting tradition, it's important that we focus on more of a positive than a negative because we know the unconscious mind cannot process negatives. You know, don't think of a yellow door with blue spots and all of that. If I don't want to be anxious or a world-class worrier, well, what do I want? We always keep the, our focus on the, the positive side of things. So if we're making the decision to work on moving past our fears, uh, that's step one. Step two is learning to breathe more consciously. You knew this one was coming. Conscious breathing is always going to be part of the solution. Uh, For me, I can never just think myself out of worry or a negative situation. I have to look at the physical aspect of my response, and that starts with breathing. When fear takes hold, we will leap into overthinking and negative thinking. We don't have the space to think more positively. We have to give ourselves some capacity for more helpful thoughts. Uh, for them to get a foothold in our minds. And this is done through the breath. I often call breath work triage coaching, some emergency go-to techniques that are essential for our self-management. In recent times, I've come to learn that my breath is a constant loyal friend, uh, something I can turn to to soothe me, to refuel me, because it's always going to be with me. There are so many different breathing techniques out there. My go-to one is a two-staged in-breath where we we take a breath in, maybe through our nose, and then a second breath in through our nose. So we're doing it consciously rather than just taking a deep breath, as it were. So we take a two-staged in-breath in through our nose, and then we exhale, maybe through our nose, or I tend to do it through my mouth. It means I'm doing something purposefully different. And the trick with this one, as with all breathing techniques in this area, is to ensure the out-breath is just slightly longer than the inhale or the combined inhale, because that that triggers the parasympathetic nervous system, which helps to to calm and relax us. Uh, This technique or any breathing technique really requires conscious effort. So it feels like we're doing something purposefully. If I think I have a choice as to how I can choose to breathe in different scenarios, this makes me feel more in control, which is what we're seeking because when fear takes hold, we don't feel in control. The body has its own wisdom when you think about it. You know, if we're nervous and anxious, it's like, well, take a deep breath and off you go. Or sometimes you even see it with athletes preparing for a match or a race, you know, and you see them yawning. It's not because they're tired. It's their body's direction to them of uh, give me more oxygen, please, because you're not breathing in your chest. And I know for me, and I've had this only recently, that if I'm nervous or stressed or worried or fearful, it's almost like I'm forgetting to breathe. So that strategy will always be in there when we're looking for ways to manage our own fears. It's more conscious, purposeful breathing.
Another strategy is to bring a mantra or a useful affirmation into play and maybe even combine it with uh, more purposeful breathing. I find the combination of these two really helpful. So we're looking to get some supportive or encouraging words or phrases that help to reframe the mind. You know, we're bringing nicer tenants into the house of the mind, as it were. And when we're focused on something that's more supportive and worthwhile and more positive, maybe, it helps to evict those old, helpful, negative thoughts. Uh, something I do when I breathe in, I might just say to myself, well, this is my in-breath. And as I'm breathing out, this is my out-breath. That helps me focus or be more mindful on my breathing. As I'm breathing in and out, I might combine it with the words of slow down or let go, you know, or even I'm safe. You know, in this moment, I'm safe. That phrase is an instruction to switch off the fight or flight response. One of my favourites in this area is, is a technique from the late Wayne Dyer, who said in any scenario, we can choose peace over this. So if I'm alert enough to realise I'm going a bit frantic or fearful or stressed um, or frustrated, um, I'll, I'll reach for that phrase of, well, I can choose peace over this. Uh, I may not get to a place of peace, but at least I know I have the option to choose it. And if I believe I've choice in an area, it, it, it restores an, an element of control. Um, I've more on this in my new book. I have a whole section on what I call triage coaching, emergency coaching uh, in my new book, Words to Inspire, that will be out in a few weeks time. The critical thing with all of these strategies around affirmations and breathing and conscious breathing is to apply them immediately. We cannot postpone or afford to wait because if we do, fear will creep in and choke us and prevent us from even remembering to breathe more purposefully. I like to see it as um, the more oxygen I take in, I'm drowning out my fear. So I'm drowning out my fear with the inhales of oxygen. Fear cannot survive the dopamine and the camera feeling that comes with slow, deep breathing. If we can combine conscious breathing with a shoulder roll or a stretch, you know, we're, it's like we're pushing fear away. A really useful tip I got from a yoga class is to release the tongue from pressing against the roof of our mouths. That's something the tongue tends to do when we feel under threat. It's a way it protects itself. And it's why we can get a higher pitch, squeaky, nervous talk. You know, when we're when we're nervous, we'll breathe faster, we'll talk faster and in a slightly higher pitched tone because our tongue has moved up. So here we're doing the opposite. We're moving our tongues away from the roof of our mouths. So if you're just sitting there listening to me currently, just take a, a mental note of where your tongue currently is. And if it's up against the roof of your mouth, can you relax it down? Um, it's a very simple technique and it's one that I find very helpful. Something else we can do physically is to make a fist, you know, to clench our fist and then to release it. You know, we can see the stress across our knuckles, you know, but fear and stress, if that's ongoing, that level of tension is elsewhere in our bodies too. You know, we want to shake it out. Again, you can see athletes coming onto a pitch, shaking their arms and legs or, you know, a tennis player getting ready to serve. They're shaking the nervousness out of their body. Um, it's a tip I've, I've shared with some people as well before, you know, online presentations or online meetings or interviews when they're in the privacy of their own home office or their own home, you know, sort of shake the nervousness off before they sit down to, to focus on the task at hand. Another tip for managing our fears is a bit like breathing, because it's something we tend to do, but maybe we could do it more purposefully. And that's to predict and to pre-plan. 
So we will think ahead to those situations that could trigger our fear. Maybe it's a person, a situation, or even a certain type of email. If we can predict the scenario, well, then we can contemplate and pre-plan what we would like to do differently when it comes to our response. I sometimes call this pre-paving the way. We are visualising a different response. It probably involves remembering to breathe, pausing, gathering ourselves, the different parts of ourselves that maybe fear has shattered. It might also mean moving to get the energy shifting in our bodies. Prompts or affirmations can work well here too. Phrases such as, well, I'll get through this. I'm more resilient than I think. This is a critical learning moment for me. This is my comfort zone expanding. This is the edge of what it feels like to change. I'm doing my best just as I've always done. Or whatever happens, I'm lovable just as I am. Never forget that old adage when fear knocked at the door and love answered, no one was there. The last strategy I'm going to share with you today on managing our fears is to rationalise and reframe. Fear will always be an emotive response to a situation. Rationalising is about parking the emotions and focusing on the facts. This means that we're moving into the observer position. You know, we're observing our instinctive response. We witness it. We view it as something separate. Over time, when I'm fearful, I now label it as fear is currently visiting me. It's knocking at the door. I can't ignore it. It will slither in and open a window or down the chimney. It will get into the house of my mind and take up residency. I I want to be a more vigilant landlord, but I cannot fight it as this will only make it stronger. Reframing fear is viewing fear in a different way. We might acknowledge that, you know, when the stomach punch of fear is kicked off, you know, it's maybe a clue to apply some of the self-management strategies that I've shared with you or that you wish to trial. We could see it as evidence that we're embarking on something new or important. Fear could be a prompt for us to do a little bit more preparation. A reframe of fear that is applicable in most situations is that a hit of fear shows we care. I'd be a little worried if I didn't experience some fear prior to, say, a big talk. You know, the hit of adrenaline keeps me alert. Another technique that falls under the rationalising and reframing of fear is asking ourselves the question, well, what exactly am I fearful of here? We are brave enough to look at our fears head on. When we do, as with most bullies, fear will retreat. As mad as this sounds, I sometimes will have a conversation with my fear. I'll ask my fear, well, what do you want me to know? What are you here to tell me or to remind me of? Often this is a valuable insight. When we acknowledge it, accept it. Fear has served its purpose and it doesn't have to scream and batter the door of my mind down to get attention. I might say to my fear, well, thank you, but I've got this. The maturer, wiser, more experienced part of me is taking charge. So often our fears are attached to our inner child who is desperately seeking our attention, love and understanding. Most of what fear is, is a projection of the worst possible future. It's not something that's present in the moment. Our breath, those mantras, the rationalisation, reframing of our fears brings us back into the present moment. Fear is constantly recycled through our beliefs. So many of our beliefs and assumptions are fear-based. In the coaching world, limiting beliefs are always fear-based. The more attention we spend focused on potential negative consequences, the less attention we have to give to our actual performance, to the task at hand, whether that's an interview, a presentation, a meeting, or if we're seeking to instigate change, whatever it is that we're endeavouring to instigate. I'm going to close 
with a quote and then a little um, extract from my new book, uh, Words to Inspire. But the quote is, as I, I'm a child of the Star Wars era, so this is one of the Yoda ones. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. You know, we might call it stress or worry or anxiousness or uh, being concerned or fear, but it's really suffering. Um, and we don't want that. Our hidden fears, based on what might happen, are at the root of so much of our emotional suffering. Fear will make us either hide from life or we relentlessly try to prove ourselves. When we are fearful, we are less likely to reach out and connect with others. Uh, we don't turn to others for assistance when we need it most. We will close down our connections. We will retreat into ourselves. We will isolate. Fear is always going to pop out and therefore it makes sense to develop ways to deal with it. Unlike other emotions that can ebb and flow, fear can take hold. I sometimes describe it as like a computer virus. While sadness can soften and disappointment can fade, even grief will mellow with time. But somehow fear can remain resolutely stubborn and present. It will rarely go away on its own. It's greedy for attention. We always have to have strategies for managing it. So I'm going to close this week with a very short extract from my new book, Words to Inspire, that will be out in a few weeks' time. Uh, this is from a chapter titled Worry. So it's certainly a relevant theme for today. So here we go. We cannot eliminate uncertainty from our lives. And whilst we may never embrace it, we can accept that uncertainty is a part of life. We can remember too that in the midst of uncertainty resides pleasant surprises and unexpected but welcomed joys. Deep down, our wisest self knows that we are guided and protected. Whatever happens, we will manage it. We will deal with what life brings our way as best we can, because that's what we've always done. In the meantime, we can show compassion to that part of ourselves that worries, because when faced with love, fear dissolves. So that's just a small extract from my new book. So thank you for tuning in this week. I hope you found my musings on fear helpful. If we're looking for something different, we always have to do something differently. So my invitation to you is to trial some of these strategies that I shared to make them your own. And to close with that image of fear as unruly tenants in our minds, it's time for us to be a more vigilant and assertive landlord because we're giving the house of our minds a bit of an upgrade. So until next week, my friends. Thank you for listening this week. If you enjoyed this episode and have a moment, please rate, review and subscribe if you haven't already. And maybe you'd like to share it with a friend too. For more information about me, James Sweetman, my coaching services, workshops, books, and for more podcast episodes, be sure to visit jamesweetman.com.